Turn your Bibles to Revelation 21. Revelation 21. No more. Last Easter, this sanctuary was empty. The music, a meager ensemble. The sermon, preached to empty pews in cold cameras. COVID came calling upon our congregation, our country, and our cosmos. The virus was spreading, suffering was made manifold. Some of you lost your jobs. Now that our doors are closed and our business is way down, we've got to downsize. The conversation was spirit crushing. Others of you became terribly ill. Chills and nausea and headache. The experience of cognitive confusion, O2 levels way too low. You face the fear of a respirator as a last resort. And others stood with me, lonely by a graveside. Only 10 allowed to attend the funerals. We were not even permitted to say farewell properly to our deceased family, and friends. Shops shuttered, businesses barren, no in-person education. We use terms like remote learning and distance learning. Remote and distant. Need I say more? The students knew the difference. A plastic pear, after all, isn't a fruit, is it? By every measure of man, these last 12 months have been the toughest of times. Everybody's life has been turned upside down from the CEO all the way up to the custodian. Nobody's job remained the same. Protocols and processes and masks and mandates and daily watching hospitalization rates. The COVID crisis brought a collapse to the world as we knew it, loved it, enjoyed it, basked and bathed in it. Heretofore, Epidemics and pandemics were nothing more in our minds than made-up Hollywood horror, make-believe movies, a two-hour thriller that we could easily turn off, just click the remote, and we return to our real lives. But this pandemic has been neither fiction nor film. It was with us and among us and in us. An elderly couple... Married for six decades, each other's best friend and 
husband and wife for daily for six decades. They were separated for 215 days. Rules and regulations and precautions and policy does the unthinkable. It separates a husband from his wife in elder care, separating two who have been daily devoted to each other for over 60 years. They wheel him in. Oh my goodness, she says. When she finally sees her husband, Joseph. Joseph weeps as he reaches out and hugs Eve that he hasn't seen. Seven long months of separation. I've missed you so much, the old man cries. Reunion happened at the Rose Castle Delaney Creek Assisted Living Facility in Florida, but the story has been multiplied many times over in our own community from coast to coast. Glass and walls have separated us all from someone we love. If the pandemic has done anything, it's reminded us that we live in a very, very broken world. We are on a disjointed journey. We're not as keen as we had convinced ourselves that our advanced medicine can be made a mockery by an invisible virus. The invisible enemy made prisoners of every person in his own home Schools were empty and parks were closed and streets were quiet and flights were few. Our lives were radically reordered as the invisible enemy forced us to treat everyone around us as another potential enemy because they themselves might be unwittingly harboring the virus. And the best and the brightest of medical minds seemed at a loss to give us any solid advice. Do this, don't do that, now do this, forget about that. We were being bounced around by unproven advice like pinballs and a cheap arcade machine. Well, they really didn't know anything, but they had to say something. So they made up rules and then recanted those rules and made up new rules and yet again reversed the whole regimen all over again. We were helpless and hopeless and horrified. The past 12 months have been nightmarish. But the dawn has begun to break. Revelation 21 is just that kind of chapter Earlier in John's apocalypse, his revelation, we've seen all the horrors, the climactic battle between good and evil at the end of time. And we've longed as we read Revelation for a new day, a restoration, a new creation. And God's people have wept and they have wailed and they have longed for God to be among his people, for the presence of God, for God to hear their cries. In the closing chapters of the book of Isaiah, God promises he will create 
a new heavens and a new earth, and they would endure before him forever. That fulfillment of Isaiah's promise now is unfolded in John's apocalypse in chapter 21. In John's vision of a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, as John is approaching this end of his vision, a magnificent sight, he speaks of a, a new heaven and a new earth. First thing I, I want you to see this morning is this. Creation restored, chaos conquered. Creation restored and chaos conquered. Look at verses 1 and 2 of Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. John's vision here, the first heaven, the earth, are replaced by a new heaven and a new earth, brand new or renewed, it doesn't matter which interpretation you take. We remember Paul in our Roman study in Romans 8 telling us that the whole creation, not just humanity, but the whole creation is groaning in travail while it waits eagerly. It's emancipation from decay, all of creation, all of earth to be made new. We wait for the trees and the rocks to begin again. All of God's creation calling for the creator to, to come and restore that perfection and that purity that existed before it was broken by Adam. And notice, no longer any sea. Ancient peoples felt like the sea was dark and demonic and destructive and diabolic. Isaiah himself says in Isaiah 57 that the wicked are like the tossing sea that cannot rest. It was dark and unpredictable and scary. It represented evil. Through the waters of the sea are cast up mire and dirt. In fact, in Revelation 13, if you were to read through this story, it is out of the sea that the beast arises that blasphemes God. The one who makes war on God's saints. You see, the sea is seen as a seething cauldron fraught with unlimited possibilities of evil, but it will disappear for in the new heaven and in the new earth, the holy dwelling place, the eternal place of God and God's people, there is no room for the powers of darkness, no longer any sea, no evil. Here's a second thing I want you to notice. Number two, God dwells with us. Look at verse three. And her loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and he shall dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them. The New Testament conceives of the heavenly Jerusalem as the dwelling place of God, the true homeland 
of the saints. In the Old Testament times, you'll remember that God's dwelling place was first and foremost. It was a tabernacle in the wilderness. It was temporary and transitory. And then later, well, God dwelt in the temple. It was permanent, but even the temple was unable to fully capture God in all of God's glory. And then next, there was a Bethlehem baby. Do you remember how John the Apostle, the same writer of the Apocalypse, puts it? And the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us, dwelt. It's the same Greek root that's used here in his Apocalypse, is used in his Gospel. So we had the, the tabernacle, and then we had the temple, and then we had God temporarily come and dwelling with his people God putting up his tent with his people, and the Word became flesh. And in this baby of Bethlehem, God tabernacled among us. But now, at last, in Revelation 21, this same writer tells us in the ultimate second coming of the Christ that we now have endless fellowship between God and his people. I shall be their God, and they shall be my people. Actually, it says, in a plural sense, I will be their God, and they shall be my peoples, plural. Which perhaps points to the many different races and ethnicities and cultures that will join together in that new Jerusalem, gather together in heaven. They will together be his peoples. There is no distinction in Christ. This multiplicity of men from all races, they will comprise God's own people. In fact, John tells us God himself will be among them. God, putting his tent up right beside yours. Like the word becoming flesh and tabernacling among us, God himself shall come. Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell upon, among them, and they will be his people, and none other than God himself will be among them. What does it mean when God dwells among us? What changes when God himself puts up his tent right beside ours? The third thing I want you to see is no more. Look at verse 4. No more. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be mourning or crying or pain, for the first things have passed away. No more. This is a great passage of no more. No more weeping because of our losses and hopelessness. And no more tears. And no more death. He is alive, he is risen, he is returned. No more death. There shall no longer be any death. No more mourning. 
for his glad morning has come. No more crying, no more pain. All these things have passed away. None other than God himself shall be the consoler of his people. God is a God who hears the cries of his children. Let me tell you, John says, I've looked at the end, and God himself restores all of creation, a new heaven and a new earth, and all the nations will be his peoples. And when he arrives and God dwells among us, we will go to the land of no more, no more crying, no more suffering, no more cancer, no more pandemic, no more gravesides, no more. God himself, God himself shall wipe away every tear. See, God putting his hand on your face and pushing the many tears of this year aside. This is a catalog of evils. They are wrought by the brokenness of our creation. And death itself has always been the centerpiece of all pain. This here in Revelation 21 is a reversal of the curse of Genesis. If you eat the fruit, you shall surely die. The first things, things pertaining to the first heaven and the first earth, they are gone when God arrives. You remember earlier when John was weeping, there was a scroll that contained both the plan and the power of God, and he looked all over heaven, and there was no one worthy to open the scroll, and he's searching, and John is weeping. He's weeping because there's this great plan of God, and no one is worthy enough to take the scroll and open it and begin the plan and power of God. Then the crucified lamb steps up and there's a new heaven and a new earth. For worthy is the lamb to take the scroll, to break the seals and enact the will of God. In this new heaven and this new earth, the tears themselves are gone forever, for death itself has been destroyed and the resurrection. Here's a final thing I want you to see. All things new. Look at verses 5 through 7. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. And he who overcomes shall inherit these things. And I will be his God and he will be my son. The one on the throne says, behold, I am making all things New. Isn't that what we long for today? A God who's able to take all of our brokenness and our sin 
our death and our disease, and to make all things new. Write it down, God said. My words are faithful and true, all things new. Who do you worship today? Do you worship a God who proclaims in the midst of demons and death, I will make all things new? And his words alone are faithful and true. Our God, right here, it says, he says, write it down. I am the alpha. I am the beginning. He is time before there is any time. He's also the end in control of all things, the omega. However far eternity reaches, God is still a step ahead of forever. And then that ultimate promise, I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost, and he who overcomes shall inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my child. Are you thirsty today? Come to the well Come to the water, the water of life. Are you thirsty today? Parched and perishing? Come to the living well. The psalmist says, as a deer pants for the streams of water, my soul longs for you, O God. Like the deer who's thirsty, looking for the brook, my soul searches for and pants for God and his presence. Thirst in scripture is our desire to be with God, to commune with God, to hear God's voice. It is creation longing for the presence of creator. If you're thirsty for God, come and drink and find the water. Like Jesus says to the woman by the well, and when I quench your thirst, you shall never thirst again. And he who overcomes the evils of this world, verse 7, he will be blessed. Those standing strong in the midst of the chaos will be blessed. And then notice, I will be the God of the one who's faithful, and he will be my son. To David, God had promised concerning David's son Solomon in 2 Samuel 7, I will be his father, and Solomon will be my son. I know it's been tough. Twelve months like haven't been seen before. Fear, fever, funerals, uncertainty made us unhinged. But I want you to know this morning that we worship the God of Easter, the God of no more, no more death, no more fear, no more crying, no more pain. For God himself will 
place his tent beside the tents of his people. He will tabernacle among us and he will be our God and we will be his children. It is all accomplished because of the lamb, the lamb that was slain and crucified, the resurrected lamb of God who today overcomes even death. The one who wears scars, scars that paid for our sin. No more to this broken creation, to this troubled cosmos we call out in the name of the risen Christ. No more. Oh God, we thank you this Easter like none we've ever experienced. Oh God, we learn today in John's revelation that you are with us and in us and among us. For you are our God and we are your people. And we thank you that you are the God, the only God who can quiet the chaos, who can say no more.